0: Take just a moment here. Give a quick word of introduction for Brother Tate. Uh, this is the session, of course, for high capacity volunteers. And uh, Brother Tate Thronson planned the Castle View Baptist Church in Colorado. He and his wife Debbie they've served uh, together for over 25 years. Have two grown sons, and he's a dear friend. And uh, I have had the privilege personally of being at Castle View and seeing what God has done there, what God continues to do, and His people are spot on. I'm I'm telling you, they are right there, ready, in there with him, and God's continued to do some great things with that church and through his leadership. And so I know he's going to have some good takeaways for us. How many of you is your first time here at Spiritual Leadership? Just curious. Okay, great, great host. I hope you do have a few of those takeaways like Pastor Chad was talking about that you'll go home and drill down on, and I guarantee you'll get some in this session. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Tate, you come right on. Lord Jesus, we thank you now for all these believers Lord and uh, your servants who've gathered for this session we thank you for brother Tate Thronson for how you're using him and Lord You have him here for such a time as this and so Lord may we hear him out and get some things Lord uh, That we can use in our ministry in Christ's name. I pray. Amen brother Tate
1: All right. Hey, thank you so much. It's it really is a privilege to be here today and uh I've been a little bit nervous, I'm going to tell you. I've got uh, Pastor Joe Shakur here, and uh, I just respect so much what you've been doing in your ministry there in North Carolina, and uh, nice to meet you. We've got Brother John Williams here today as well, and, uh, boy, you saw that choir last night, and you talk about knowing how to get people ready to go, and uh, I respect you and your family so much too, Brother John. Uh, I've watched them for years. I've seen them raising their girls. I told him I was watching his wife as, as she watched him. She's in the choir. I don't know if you know Dean or not. She's in the choir, and uh, you know need to find yourself a wife that looks at you the way Dina looks at John when she's singing. And uh, I'm telling you, it was a blessing to be able to watch that. So thank you so much uh, for all of that. Thanks for being here. What a great opportunity uh, to be able to learn this week. What a great session from Pastor Chapel uh, a few minutes ago. You talk about needing a blueprint to follow. Uh, I wrote down several notes. He did start getting into the training part a little bit and the volunteer a little bit. And so I was praying he'd get out of that uh, a little bit. Uh, but uh, we're, uh, I'm looking forward to what God has for us. Hey, Mark chapter 2 for just a moment. I want to read a couple of verses to you in Mark chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together, Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. You know the story and you're familiar with it. The Bible says in Mark 2, 1, again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. It was noised that he was in the house. Jesus was there, verse number 2, straightway many were gathered together. insomuch there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy. Well, who came unto him? Volunteers came. Really, that's who came in this passage, some volunteers, some friends, some, some guys that just determined that they knew their friend needed what Jesus had. It says in verse 3, They come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What a great passage. You ever think about that and and just think about the volunteers these guys were? We don't know much about them. We know they were determined. We know they were resourceful. We know that they weren't going to quit. I think a lot of people would say, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, We've done everything we can. I mean, we got here, we got here as early as we know how to get here. Uh, There's Jesus, we got you as far as we could. And these guys didn't do that. They understood he had a need. They understood they needed to get him to Jesus. And so all of a sudden they go up on the roof and they get real creative. They get real resourceful. And somebody's got this idea, hey, we can go up on the top and let's break open the roof. And by the way, I don't think Peter probably liked that too much. It's my house. Hey, what are you doing over You know, you're inside and all of a sudden somebody starts breaking this down. You're interrupting the meeting. There are probably some people there that were a little inconvenienced about what was going on. Hey, Jesus is in here speaking. But they understood that they had a need and they knew that the need meter was in that house. And so they determined as volunteers, we're going to get him there. Isn't that the kind of people our churches need? People that are full of faith, People that recognize, I am not here to watch a baby. I am here because the parent gets to go and hear about Jesus. Hey, I'm doing more than parking cars in this place. I'm doing I'm doing more than just seating. I'm doing more than receiving offering. I'm I'm doing more than teaching junior church. I am giving these individuals or giving them opportunities to be able to hear the gospel, to advance the mission of Jesus here in this church, and I I want to help us for just a moment to be able to to begin maybe to see volunteers the way that we should. I viewed volunteers for a long time as a little bit of a time suck, a little bit of uh, uh, you know what, they're, they're, they're a little bit too much work, they're a little bit too much investment, I'd rather do some things on my own, and I want you to know that if you don't take the time to invest in volunteers, your ministry can never truly be what the Lord wants it to be. And by the way, the Bible tells pastors that your job is not to do every work of the ministry. Your responsibility is to equip those in your church to do the work of the ministry, so I want to give you just a few things. I'm going to try to move these through these quickly because I'd, I'd love to hear what Pastor Joe has to say about this and what John has to say about this. And we'll have some time of question uh, here at the end. Would you notice this? Number one, high capacity volunteers begins with careful selection. It begins with careful selection. We need more than just warm bodies. We need people that meet a few criteria. I love what Jim Collins says in his book, Good to Great. He says companies and churches that go from good to great start not with where but with who that they start by getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and the right people in the right seats. And he says they stick with that discipline. First the people, then the direction, no matter how dire the circumstances. If we're gonna get where God wants us to go with, with volunteers, we need to get the right people on the bus now you might have to move some seats around as you get them on the bus but that's what we need to do with volunteers so notice this first of all when it comes to selection selection should take into consideration their capacity you need to know your people well enough to be able to look at somebody and say you know what this person can do what i'm asking them to do people will be frustrated If you're asking them to do something they're not able to do. By the way, I think you ought to begin to know your people well enough also uh, to make some determinations. First of all, is this person a volunteer or is this person a leader? Because volunteers get frustrated if you give them too much. Leaders get frustrated if you don't get them enough. And so you start you have to start learning your people a little bit that 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 what do they want to do because volunteers want to do things leaders want to lead things leaders want to be a part of the decision making process they want to have some authority volunteers really don't want that sometimes they just simply want to check the list that you give them so know who you're talking to give them what they're capable of doing evaluate what you want accomplished and be careful when you select these individuals by the way I will just say this we don't advertise every volunteer position in our church Uh, you don't advertise uh, hey if you want to be a deacon come and see me you want to work with finances come and see me you're going to select we don't in our church even advertise for children's ministry uh, we, we talk to people individually because we want to make sure that the people that are working with the children's ministry have a heart for children. We want to make sure that we have trust in them before we give them someone else's child to work with. And if you start advertising children's ministry, you know what's going to happen. The first person, the second person, third person that sees you, you're going to be thinking, you are really not a great person to be working with children. And you know what you've got to do now? Now you've got to have this conversation. I know we just said we needed people, but not you. So I think it starts with, with making good selections, and, and I think you need to know their capacity. Secondly, selection should take into consideration their gifts. Their gifts should match their ministry. It, my gifting leans toward relationships. I want, I, I want people to feel comfortable. We, have a, um, we had a, a team, our, our security team lead. And uh, he was in the military for a number of years. He was in uh, the police force for a number of years. Great guy. And one service, we had uh, we had Dr. Tom Farrell in, who just passed away recently. He he was preaching for us, and, and that week I was at a coffee shop, and I had met a guy, and I invited him to the service, and, and sure enough, he showed up to the service, and, and he didn't look like the most of the rest of our neighbors, or our community in the church. He, he had tattoos, and, and he had a hat on, and he had a backpack when he walked in, and, and right at the end of the service, this team lead comes up to me, and he says, Pastor, I just want you to know something. We had it all taken care of. I had three different security. I a matter of fact, he came up and sat right in the front row, and not everyone does that, right? I mean, the guests don't usually come sit right in the front, and so he said, Pastor, don't worry. We had a, I mean, I had guys on either side. We had a guy behind, and and I got to be honest I'm looking at this guy and I'm just rolling my eyes inside my head and I'm just thinking come Barney Fife you know I mean come on don't overreact and I said Bill it's so it's okay I mean uh, I saw I met him this week I invited him this week he said this he said pastor you got to let me know when you invite people to be here I said, Bill, I invite people every weekend to be here. I don't, I don't know when they're going to come or not. And so I think I left frustrated that day. He left frustrated that day. About two weeks later, I saw that shooting. I think it was in Waco. You see the video footage of that? The, one man went to draw on the back, and he was shot right away. And there was a, I think it was the team lead, team security lead, that took one shot, took him out. could have been just such a horrible, horrible situation. I went back to Bill. I said, Bill, I just want to apologize. I said, you know, I think our giftings are just different, and I think that's good. It's my role to make people feel welcome, and it's your role to make people feel safe. Sometimes you just have to figure out what their, what their gifting is. Bill would make a lousy nursery worker. <laughs> he really would make a lousy first impressions guy, but you know what, honestly, he was the guy that we needed for the role of security. And I think you just sometimes need to understand that they need to be gifted in that way. Uh, Selection also should take into consideration their heart. I won't take a lot of time here. I, I do know one pastor, I heard him years ago say that, referring to staff, I won't pay a man to cuss me. You know, when you think about someone being the right volunteer for your ministry, you need to have people in your ministry that are bought in that are volunteers. You need to make sure they've got some ownership. They've got a heart for what's going on. They're not the the critical people in the church. I don't want to give people a stick to beat me with. You know what I mean? You elevate them into a position, and now all of a sudden, uh, they start getting angry. And, and now you've given them a position, and you've given them a, some authority. And so when they speak now in the church, they're volunteers. And so someone listens to them and thinks that they really know what's going on, and they speak with authority. And so I've, I've just given them a stick to beat me with. I want to make sure that they have a heart for the ministry. I want to make sure that selection takes into consideration their background. Be very careful about putting people in certain positions and you don't really know who they are. But we had a children's ministry meeting about two months ago and and we covered a lot of things that are going on in our world right now. And one of the things we covered was mandatory reporters. One of the things we covered was we will never... Ever in this ministry, God helping us cover up any kind of abuse in any way. If if anyone comes to us and there's anything reported, there's any suspicion, it is not the pastor's role to determine if that was criminal activity. It'll be the pastor's role to try to help and comfort and counsel and encourage from this point forward. But we're not going to hold those things to ourselves. But if we're going to do that, we've got to make sure that in certain ministries, we know who we're putting in these positions. We know that background checks have taken place. That sounds very elementary to a lot of you, but you'd be shocked at how many ministries just don't even have background checks, just even simple things at the beginning, any kind of references. And all of a sudden, we're inviting these individuals in, we're handing them our children, we're handing them our babies, we're handing them our kids, and we're trusting them with the greatest, um, uh, you know, prize that these parents, these these young moms walk in the door with, and we're just handing them over without really knowing who they are. We've got to make sure that we know their their background. I went to a church a number of years ago. I was an interim pastor in Pensacola, and um, my first Wednesday evening uh, that I was there, I preached that evening. Thursday morning, I got a phone call from from one of the deacons. He said, "Pastor, there's a man in the church that I've been trying to figure out why I know him." and And I I just figured out how I knew him, and I just looked it up, and sure enough, uh, he was reported, he's done nine years in prison for abusing two teenagers, uh, molesting them, two different church situations, and now he's working with the singles at our church. He's over that ministry. I will never forget this. I sat down. You know, obviously, you know what you're going to do, right? I mean, I called a meeting with the deacons right away, and, and I sat down. I had done a little bit of homework. I called the sheriff's office. I, I got the information. Sure enough, he was right on all of that. I sat down. I told the deacons about it, and one of the deacons, you know, I'm just going, well, this is a no-brainer, and one of the deacons says, well, well, how long do we wait before we forgive somebody? It shocked me when he said that. I said, well, listen, we can forgive him, but that doesn't mean there's an absence of consequences. I mean, I'm not going to put him in another position that he's going to be. We need to know what's going on around here. We need to make sure that we are selecting people. We know their background. Would you notice this? High-capacity volunteers thrive under proper inspiration. High-capacity volunteers want to know they're making a difference. They want to know they're making a difference that they need to know that you're not watching babies, you're letting mom hear the gospel. You're not parking cars. Uh, you are giving somebody that first impression, that first smile, that, that that first opportunity to be comfortable coming into a service so that when the music ministry starts, they can sing. When the preaching starts, they're open to it. You need to know they're making a difference. By the way, that was exactly what these men did with, with, with this one, bringing the man to Jesus. I mean, they, they go in there. They determine they're going to make a difference. They know what Jesus says. He looks at them and says, hey, your faith. I mean, they know it in that moment. And as leaders, you need to make sure that your people know that they're making a difference. And so notice this, how do you do it? High capacity volunteers want to hear how they're making a difference. In our church about, uh, I suppose, about five, six weeks ago, uh, we, we were like maybe a lot. We were meeting in a school. We didn't, we didn't live stream our services before COVID started. We had to we had to start from scratch, like probably a lot of you at that point. We had never done it. Uh, but we had some volunteers right away that came and, and said, listen, I think we can figure this out. I think we can do it. And, and uh, so we, we, right away, we started that. And they've, they've put hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, if you don't know how to do that. I mean, some of you in here are over that at your churches. It is not a small production uh, to put on a an online service. They've spent so much time doing it um, and they've done an excellent job. They've been fantastic with it. We're, we're thankful for how they're doing it. And about five, six weeks ago, I got an email from a man that used to attend our church before COVID. They moved to Oklahoma, and when he was at our church, I would talk to him and say, hey, listen, uh, you need the gospel, and here's what Jesus did. And he was such a logical, smart individual. He was too smart for, for his own good, you know, and he just couldn't. He wouldn't quite grasp the whole thing. We had great conversations. He attended faithfully, but he wasn't ready to trust Christ. And about five, six weeks ago, he emailed me right after the service and said, hey, I just watched. I just prayed. I asked. Jesus to save me Amen. listen the first group that heard all about that was our live stream team I mean they needed to know the stream team needs to understand hey what you're doing it makes a difference but we've got one first impressions John you know um, uh, you know the uh, I'm telling you that they, they, they Jennifer is her name. She does such a phenomenal job at First Impressions. If you're a guest, she's going to Facebook friend you that week. I see pictures of her all the time uh, taking guests out to lunch, taking the wife out to lunch. Uh, she'll be putting nice comments on the Facebook post. They'll put pictures of their family up, and she's the first one going, beautiful family, I love that." you know, whatever. It's encouraging. It makes a difference, and so when I hear good comments excuse me, from from somebody about Jennifer, I tell Jennifer and Kyle, I let them know, hey, listen, I heard about that, I saw that. They want to know they're making a difference. You want them to buy in and give you everything. They need to know that they're making a difference in that place. They want to hear about it. High-capacity volunteers want to be challenged to make a difference. High-capacity volunteers want to be challenged. Uh, I saw a commercial uh, recently. It was, it was. I think it was the Air Force. Uh, maybe you saw it. It was, it was, a, it was a fighter pilot in in a hangar, and he's just sitting in a chair. And um, I don't remember everything he said. He basically said, uh, uh, "Listen, when I'm in the air and I'm engaged with the enemy," he said, "They don't know." If I am white or black or Hispanic or male or female, here's what he said. He said, all they know is I'm kicking their butt. (laughs) That's, That's what he said. And let me tell you what it did to me. I wanted to go be a pilot. I mean, it's like, why? you know what, man, you know, this guy is like, hey, all they know is, man, we are whooping them right now, and we are getting the job. And you know what Marines do, commercials like that? You never see a commercial with any kind of the military. Hey, listen, come to boot camp. You're going to love the food, and these drill instructors are awesome, and, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to be shouting, you can do it. And they don't do that at all. They don't want those people. They're going, hey, this is going to be, I mean, you see the commercials, they're, they're crawling under barbed wire, they're hanging off a cliff, they're jumping out of helicopters, they're doing hard things, they're sweating, and these hey, we don't want everybody, we just want the select few that are really going to know what they're doing. Hey, I think sometimes we, we take any warm body in the church and we don't re- require anything of them. We don't want to challenge them to do anything because it's just, we, we don't want to overstep ourselves. We don't want to ask them to do anything that's going to be too. Listen, if, if you have somebody that's a high capacity person, you will not inspire them without challenging them to do something. So you lo- you'll lose them. And what you're going to attract at your ministry is a bunch of people that just have no expectations. And so they're just going to do the very bare minimum of what is expected to be done. High-capacity volunteers, I believe, want to make a difference, so they want to be challenged to do so. Uh, High-capacity volunteers require consistent training. I, I don't know who said this, but somebody said, people grow best when they know what's expected. How many times do we enlist volunteers and just let them go do their thing? Well, no, no, I asked you to do junior church. I thought you'd go figure it out. You know, I, uh, can't you watch something online? Can't you go, uh, you know, download a couple of articles about it? I mean, can't you watch someone else's service? And by the way, they may do that, and it might not be one you want. Sometimes we abandon them. Watch this. High-capacity uh, high volunteers are most effective when they know what they're doing. Does your area have difficulty right now with, with fast food workers? Do you have shortages in any areas here? Castle Rock, we have a major shortage. A lot of places, uh, you'll go for your favorite pizza or burger or whatever, and they closed a half hour ago, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and the sign on the door simply says, we don't have enough workers. For years, we've been in Castle Rock, and, and uh, we have, um, we've got Chick-fil-A in Castle Rock. Uh, we've got two Chick-fil-A's in Castle Rock. We've got a city of 80,000 people. We've got two of them. We've got In-N-Out Burger coming. Uh, you know They're about to open up in just a few months. I'm, I'm recruiting right now for some volunteers. Um, and um, uh, Chick-fil-A is right across the street from a, a combo KFC, and uh, there's a Taco Bell over there, and there's uh, just several little places. Anytime I go to the Kentucky Fried Chicken, I don't go often. Whenever I go to the Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, the quality is terrible. You look and I don't do this when I go because I made the mistake of doing it once. I looked over the counter at the floors, and it's just filthy. And I just lost my appetite, as I don't want to eat here, you know. And and it was just, it's not good. The workers don't look at you in the eye. Matter of fact, many times I would go through that that drive through. They wouldn't look you in the eye. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give you any respect. And, and on more than one occasion, I would turn to my boys when they were younger and say, hey, did you see how they, listen, when, when someone speaks to you, you look them in the eye, you know, and, you, and they, I mean, I'd use these guys as illustrations of don't do that. I mean, you need to be a man and here's how you do it. But the Chick-fil-A right down the street, just like your town, is awesome they never make a mistake they're always respectful if they put something wrong in my bag which they never do i'll just take it as god's will that that's what god wanted me to have it's a totally different experience from from Chick-fil-A uh, to KFC. Why? They're dealing with the same talent pool. They've got the same people. They've got they've got the same uh, you know teenagers looking for jobs. What do they do better than anyone else? Well, I do think it somewhat goes back to selection. And uh, my my son worked there for a little while. And they had the three something he did when he walked in. He came right out to me. He was He was 15. He said, "Dad, they told me right away that I had a smile. They told me I looked him in the eye. And there was something else he did." And uh, I think your dad was awesome, was number three. I don't know. what something. I can't remember the third one. But uh, they, they had a selection process. It wasn't just anybody breathing. And what do they do with them? They train them and train them and train them and train them. And they get these things in their mind, things like my pleasure, I always try to get them to say something else. They don't do it. I, you know, they, they, they're trained so well. And our workers, we've got the same pool of people to be able to, to select from as anybody else, any other church in town, any any other organization. We've got to make sure that we are training them and, and investing in them and helping them. Send your sound people to a sound guy. Send them to a conference. Send them uh, to something that's going to help encourage them, equip them. Bring some people to someplace like this that bring your deacons out here, get everyone on the same page. Get some of your staff members out here so that they'll understand. Don't let them just figure it out. It never goes well when you just leave them to themselves. By the way, I've got this little problem. Um, I'm a people pleaser, and so I'm always afraid I'm going to be micromanaging everything. So there's always this little voice in my head that says, "Oh, just don't, don't tell them. These are—they know what to do. Don't tell them." And it never ends well. I've I've realized that I've got to be on top of this, and we've got to make sure that things systems are in place and things are done correctly. So make sure first of all that uh, you understand your volunteers are most effective when they know what they're doing. Number two, a high quality volunteers should be gently corrected when they're not fulfilling stated ex- expectations. Here's the reality. Your organizational drift to the level of accountability the team leader establishes. Pastor Chappell said something along those lines just a little bit ago. You let a staff member get away with something, everyone will fall in that same place. You let a volunteer uh, person fall to the the level of mediocrity, everyone else is going to begin to fall to the same place. Correct them when you need to. Now, in, in love, they're not paid. I get that. By the way, isn't that the challenge of pastoring? Isn't that the challenge in, in leading in a Christian ministry? Uh, you know, down at Chick-fil-A, they get a check. There's some motivation for them to do right. There's some motivation to say, my pleasure, and, and look in people's eyes. At a church, it's so easy to get bent out of shape, and so we've got to handle that well. We we need to encourage and love and praise and, and be for these individuals, but at some point, you've got to say, listen, this is not the the behavior that we're going to allow to, to, to be our standard here. So here's some things to help you. By the way, if you need them to be corrected, then invest in them, help them, train them, show them, send them to that conference, do whatever you can uh, to help them, but correct them. Don't let it stay where it was. And then notice this, high-quality volunteers, high-capacity volunteers will become frustrated when goals are not clearly established. All right, what's the goal for the junior church ministry? Well, you want to have the kids to have fun. Yeah, of course. You want the kids to come back next week. Yeah, absolutely. But these two goals might be secondary to the main goals that you have. If the main goal is for the kids to have fun, don't be surprised when you start getting reports of juggling chainsaws and junior church days that spend 100% of their time on games and comedy and treats. But I'm thinking that probably you have some other ideas, too, that you want them to hear the gospel, that you want them to, to understand the narratives and the Bible stories and the scriptures. So you have to make sure that you, you clearly articulate, here's the goals of the children's ministry. Here are the priorities, and here's the order that I would list them in. If only one of these things happens today, it's not going to be the juggling chainsaws. It needs to be the gospel. It needs to be the teaching children. It needs to be some of these other things that we're going to put as priorities. But high-capacity volunteers will become frustrated when goals are not clearly established. Okay, let's go to the next one. High-capacity volunteers demand ongoing communication. I'll go through these quickly, clearly communicate terms of service. An appointment as the nursery director should not be a lifetime commitment. We, we will put someone in those positions and we will just we kind of we, we kind of we meet with them, we close the door behind us, we turn off the light, we sneak away. I, I hope and the next time we hear from them is when that nursery director is absolutely burned out, frustrated because they just kind of got left you No, know, clearly I Hey, listen, we're going to do this for 12 months. We're going to do this for, I don't, I don't know what it is, but but have some kind of an exit strategy so that they know that there is relief coming. I will give you everything I've got. And then you can evaluate. 12 months later, say, hey, how you doing? You feel good? Uh, we, you want to keep going? Or uh, do we need to, you know, just whatever you're going to do, make sure you communicate. Comprehensively communicate expectations. This is good. This is bad. This is going well. That's not going so well. Consistently communicate ways that volunteers can find support and provide feedback you know as a pastor um, it seems like the only feedback we get is like critical do you know why sometimes that's true because we've not given them an open line of communication so by the time they get to us they are done as opposed to, you know, we, there were three weeks in as a nursery director, and you know what? There's a few things that I got questions about. Maybe we can do this, and and you don't give them any opportunity for feedback. You kind of shut everything down. You don't sit down with them on a regular basis, and now they're they're frustrated. So make sure you have open lines of communication. Uh, let's go to the next one. High capacity volunteers succeed when appropriately empowered. Now, uh, I love. I, I heard it. Illustri- I heard a, a podcast with Howard Schultz. I believe he's the. Um, he was the president of, what was it? Um, uh, what is it? Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. Did he do Starbucks for a little while? Ritz-Carlton is the illustration I was thinking of, Daniel. Um, you know what they do? They empower. I might be using the wrong name a little bit, too. I, might, I probably put two names together. But uh, the podcast I heard, they empower every employee that if there's a problem with a guest, you can fix the problem up to $2,000. Hey, their, their, their toilet just, uh, something went wrong with it. Hey, go, go hire someone to get it done. If Our maintenance here, can't help, you go get somebody. And you go, what? $2,000. They empower them that way. Why? Because they did a study and said, you know what? They're worth, eight, a, a, a loyal customer there at the Ritz-Carlton is worth, over their lifetime, $88,000. So they said $2,000 is a small price to pay. Let's make sure they're taken care of. When we think about empowering, we need to empower them first of all here with the tools to do their job well. Hey, they don't know how to do a live streaming service, send them to some training, send them to a class, spend some money. This is money well spent. Don't ask your volunteers to do something without giving them the tools to accomplish what you're asking them to do. Uh, empower them with the authority to make and execute decisions. I would love to talk about this a lot. I'll just simply say this. I have been for too long an insecure pastor that uh, that I like to have the, the final say in every little thing. And like Pastor I, Pastor Chapel, I do enjoy knowing what's going on, but sometimes I'm the bottleneck because I've got to be the one making every decision. And the reason I have to make every decision is because I like people saying, oh, pastor's so smart and uh, he's involved in everything. What a hard worker. He's a great guy. What would we ever do without him? And, and And the truth is we'd do a lot better if he'd get out of the way sometimes and let people that knew what they were doing in certain areas really do what they're doing. Listen, I know what I don't know. I know I'm not great in the children's ministry. I know I don't know what's happening in nursery. And so I I ask a lot of questions. I empower people as best I can. Let them do what they do well. High-capacity volunteers need your support, need to be able to communicate, but they also need you to get out of the way sometimes and let them do what they know they're supposed to be doing. So empower them with some authority to make some decisions. And then I'm going to finish with this, and this is done, and we're, we're about to be finished with, with for our questions. High-capacity volunteers deserve to be regularly appreciated. Hey, volunteers are vote motivated the same way you are. I am a, on the, on the five love languages, I am words of affirmation. There's a lot of people that, even if they're not words of affirmation, would love for you simply to say, wow, great job. Take those opportunities from the pulpit when you can. I was, I was preaching somewhere for one of our church planners a few weeks ago, and, and um, I got several texts that week about what a great job that my replacement in the life group did. Can I just be really transparent for just a minute? I've been putting my heart and soul in that class. I've been, But it's a former pastor in our church that took it, and he he did a fantastic job. Um, I've got a great administrative pastor uh, that, that leads our worship, but he can also preach. He was a senior pastor for eight years himself. He was on the mission field uh, for nine years. He can preach. He preached a great message while I was gone. I told the church when I got back. I stood up, and I said, hey, so good to be back. And uh, I said, well, at least for me. I said, you know, most of you looked at me uh, when I walked in and said, oh it's you <laughs> you know oh he's back again you know i said man jim you did a great job pastor phil thank you uh for doing you know what they need to hear that sometimes it was good for me too to be honest with you because part of me didn't want to do it you know part of me wanted to say hey i'm back let's get back to real ministry around here the pastor's back in town and and you know what it was good for me too to get a little humble and say you know what this place doesn't revolve around me we got volunteers here that can do a fantastic job so a couple things here appreciate them personally A word to them as they're walking in the church after you hear something good. Appreciate them publicly, use social media to do that. Uh, Maybe some handwritten letters, uh, maybe some emails and recognize even to the entire church, everybody. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Uh, Kerry Newhoff had had given five non-financial currencies that we ought to be giving people. Gratitude is one of them. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Attention is one of them. They need uh, your time and your attention. Trust is one of them. I know you're doing a great job keep it up. Empowerment is one of them. Here are the tools. You can make decisions. Respect is one of them. Listen, we're all fighting for high capacity volunteers. We all need them. It's what makes our, when you see a ministry really going well, I can, I'll just tell you the honest truth. There's not just one guy that's, that's there preaching good. And so everything's going really well. And man, it's just going gangbusters. I'm telling you, there's a army of people Behind that individual that have just given their lives. They've been empowered, they've been trained, they've been unleash to go out and really make all of that happen in the church i i hope that these things are helpful and i'm looking forward to having some of these guys answer some questions that you guys might have let's pray and then brother john williams is going to come father we love you thank you help us as we answer questions i pray that you'd help all of us to uh train people the way they need to be trained so that we can accomplish what you want accomplished in jesus name amen
0: let's give brother Froston a hand for that session wow He dropped a lot of gold there, and I hope you picked up some of that. Appreciate Brother Joe Secor, pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, Home, maybe the former home of Bill's Barbecue. Did they revive Bill's? Oh, no! Okay, well, we do need revival in North Carolina then, but anyway... Uh, I'm so thankful for, again, the insight that's been given. You may or may not have some or all of these things in place, but if there's something there that you did not, please get that takeaway and implement it. All of that just solid, and I'm telling you, it's not just in theory for Brother Thronson because I've seen his place. Uh, It is in practical motion, and uh, we praise God for that. So we want to take maybe some questions, some things that maybe you're bringing from your ministry, whether. It was addressed in this session or not that you would have, that maybe these men could ask, uh, let me just highlight just a couple of things that he said while you're thinking about those. Our volunteers do need to know the why of what they're doing, and he has outlined that for us. They've got to know the, the, the grander scheme of things, and he pointed out several things. It's not about child care. It's about the parents being able to sit in the service, hear the Word of God, be edified, and their kids are taken care of during that time time. Uh, You know, uh, he pointed out a lot of things of of praising our volunteers and that kind of thing and and pointing out the good and, and sometimes pointing out what's not so good. Last night I had the choir in here just before service and I said, you know what, we've had some people come to me and they point you out specifically Some of you who radiate the joy of the Lord and they point you out, they say, Brother Williams, who's so-and-so standing up there to the left or the right or whatever? And and I shared that with them to to praise uh, that behavior, to praise that spirit. And then I also said on the heels of that, that means they also know those of you who are not doing that, okay? And silence fell over the room. All right, no, no, they they received that well. They understood the point, and uh, so you've got to be able to do that.